Take out your Bibles and let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we will be reading uh, verses 1 through 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Again, this is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed it in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve, then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, He appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of our God remains forever. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for for this reading of your word. We ask now, God, that you would give us ears to hear as the word is preached. Be with this, your servant. We ask, O God, that as... The word is preached that we may understand and apply it to our lives. We ask, O God, that you would um, work the soil of our heart deeply. Remove the rocks which may be there. May we be a people whose word grows fruitfully in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, today we celebrate... What is probably the most pivotal event in human history. The day in which the Son of God was raised again from the dead. To all who believe, they are then given newness of life. But this is a day which has in modern times fallen into some disregard. Many in our day want to celebrate a day where, you know... Bunnies abound and eggs are searched for. But they deny the reason for the day. They enjoy all the frivolities of it. 
There are a great many who curiously enough claim the banner of Christ and yet deny the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is really a truly strange phenomenon. Can you be a Christian and yet deny the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus? The exhortation of the earliest Christian missionary certainly was not that Jesus was simply a great teacher. The earliest missionaries of the Lord Jesus Christ did not say, well, you know, he was a a fairly friendly guy. He, was just, you know, he wasn't just this guy who provided a great moral example. This was, this was not the Jesus that the earliest Christian missionaries proclaimed. It is a true, truly an oddity that someone would claim to be a Christian and yet deny the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus. It's very strange. Because as the Apostle Paul points out, there is no Christianity if there is no resurrection. There is no Christianity if there is no resurrection. Imagine for a moment. Imagine gathering together with your friends and with your family and you're going to celebrate someone's birthday. And there's a feast to eat. And there are candles on the cake. It's a marvelous affair. You've gone all out. But there is something there is something missing or rather there is someone missing the person whose birthday it is Imagine having a party and you didn't invite the person you're honoring to it What if you were to celebrate this special day and the person isn't even there What if you were to eat the food you were to light the candles you were to consume the cake You were to make merry and celebrate, but the person whose day it is isn't even considered at all. In fact, they weren't even invited. You don't even care that they're not there. What if, in fact, they're just ignored and forgotten? They weren't invited to their own party. Can you celebrate something without the object of that celebration? You can't have a birthday party without the person whose birthday it is. You cannot have the Christian faith without the basis of that faith, which is the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. This is the point the Apostle Paul is making in our text today. Christ died for sin as an atoning sacrifice. He was buried. He was raised again on the third day. And without this being a historic fact... An an event which happens in real time and space. Without this historic fact, beloved congregation, we are all lost. The resurrection is so central to the gospel that without the resurrection, there is no gospel. There is no Christianity and there is no church. This is how important this event is. And so Paul begins this section of his letter to the Corinthian church by declaring to them again the gospel that he has been preaching to them. He says this, Now I declare to you, brothers, the gospel 
This is the good news. I declare again the good news to you. The good news which I've been preaching to you. The good news which you have received and which you now stand. Paul has already been preaching the gospel to them. This is the gospel to them again and again. Apparently, uh, Paul preached the same sermon over and over again, sort of like I do. You ever notice? Seems like they're always the same, but it's because we have the same Savior. He doesn't change. So he's, he has come proclaiming to them again. But his focus now has shifted in this, in this letter. He's now focusing, focusing specifically on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then in turn, the hope of the resurrection for all believers on the last day. Beloved, this is the goodness of the gospel. That there is a hope, a hope of eternal life. That those who were dead in their trespasses and sins have been made alive together in Christ. Paul is bringing before them the gospel that had been preached, the gospel that they had believed, and the gospel by which they now stand. Now why must those who receive the gospel and are standing in the gospel, why do they need to be preached to again? Why do we need to hear the same story over and over again? Here's why. Because you and I forget the story. We forget it, don't we? I say this often. I preach the gospel to myself and you guys just get to listen in. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves. We need to have the gospel preached to us. We need to be reminded because you and I are prone to forget the gospel. And it seems that there were some in Corinth who had forgotten the gospel. They had forgotten that which had been preached to them. They had forgotten the hope that they had in the resurrection of their Savior, Jesus Christ. And they had forgotten the hope of their own resurrection in the future. And so Paul is putting it before them again. He is reminding them again. And so, as, and so by way of reminder, we now bring the gospel before you again as well. Now, there are two main concerns which Paul wants to bring before the people as it relates to the gospel. First is the atoning death of Jesus Christ for sins. And the second is the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. The atoning death of Christ and the bodily resurrection of Christ. These are the two main issues he wants to bring before them. The gospel is how they're being saved. They need to hold fast. That is to say, they need to continue to believe that Jesus is the Christ, that He is the Son of God, that Jesus came to save sinners, that Jesus died on the cross, that He rose again from the dead after three days. These are the truths that you and I believe and hold fast to as our only hope. Otherwise, beloved congregation, our faith is in vain. If these things are not so, then our faith 
is in vain. Because without these truths, we have no basis for faith. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead on that morning 2,000 or so years ago, then our faith is worthless. It's actually worse than worthless, Paul argues. The denial of the resurrection brought to its logical conclusion is in fact a denial of faith in Jesus. Because why would we believe? Why would we trust in a dead Savior? If our Savior is just simply dead, then what is there to believe in? To believe in a Jesus who did not rise from the dead is to believe in a Jesus different from the one presented in our scriptures. That's a different Jesus. This is a Jesus that cannot save. If, if Jesus didn't raise, rise from the dead, then this is a Jesus that cannot save. This is to have a fruitless belief. This is a belief, a, a religion which is exercised superficially and without true faith. Now there are many in our day, and perhaps you know some of these people, there are many in our day who like the idea of a good moral Jesus. They say, you know, Jesus was this really great teacher, right? Let's say, they like the Jesus meek and mild. He was always kind. They like the baby Jesus of Christmas. What they want, what they want is a, they want a guru who will lead them down the path to a better life in the here and now. This is what they want, but that's not the Jesus of the Bible, What they don't want is the Lion of Judah. What they don't want is the King who rules and reigns. They don't want the Jesus who laid down His life for His bride. They don't like the idea of a blood atonement. They reject the miracles of Jesus. They reject the deity of Jesus. They reject the kingship of Jesus. And so what they want is something... They want a Christianity which is not Christianity. They want a Christianity without Christ. I guess that's anity. What they have, though, is not Christianity. It's something else altogether. To those who are perishing in their sins, the idea that Jesus rose again from the dead is absurd. This is what the world thinks. And I'm not surprised us when they say to you, you believe in something that's absurd. They think it's absurd because, well, you know, dead people don't come back to life. Now we can understand this coming from an atheist. We can understand this perhaps coming from someone from another religion, but what about those who claim the banner of Christ, who say there is no resurrection? Jesus isn't God. How can someone call themselves a Christian and yet reject the resurrection? And of course, we, we all know the answer. It's pretty clear. They can't. This is the problem of theological liberalism, isn't it? When one denies the miracles of Jesus, the virgin birth, the resurrection of Christ, what they end up with is having no grounds for their faith. They have a faith in nothing, ultimately. 
Because if there is no resurrection, then our faith is in vain. It's empty. It's worthless. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is why the Apostle Paul is telling you and me, and now I'm telling you, this is why we, we must hold fast. We must hold fast to our faith. In fact, he says so in verse 3, that what he delivered is of first importance. And what is it? What's of first importance? Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Hold fast to these things which are of first importance. Christ died for our sins. The death and the resurrection of Christ are of first or principal things. Again, this is the very heart of the good news of the Gospel. The very foundation of our faith rests on these historic events having taken place in real time and in real space. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for sinners in accordance with the Scriptures. And when he says in accordance with the Scriptures, what he's talking about is the Old Testament. In in accordance with the Old Testament. Yet Jesus is in the Old Testament. Christ was to die as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of His people. This is the witness of the Old Testament. Listen to Isaiah 53, verse 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. That's Isaiah. The promises, the covenant, the Mosaic law, the sacrificial system, the prophets, the entirety of the Old Testament witness to the fact that the Messiah would one day come. That He would die for sinners. Just as a lamb lamb was slaughtered in the tabernacle, as an atoning sacrifice, so was the Lamb of God slain. For the penalty of sin. The scriptures, beloved congregation, from beginning to end, speak of this fact. God came to deal with your sin and my sin. And so Paul is delivering to them again this good news. God is dealing with sinners. By His grace, Paul is now delivering again this to the church in Corinth. This has been his ministry of preaching, has been this truth, which is of first importance. Christ died for sinners. Beloved, this is of first importance for us too, isn't it? And here's our point. Jesus died... For sinners, as you, such as you and I, as an atoning sacrifice, this is of first importance. This is this is of utmost importance. But listen, G- Jesus didn't just merely die. He doesn't. He doesn't just die. We don't serve a dead Savior. The King of Kings did not remain in the grave. Verse four. He was buried, and. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Again, these are historic facts which happened. 
Jesus died, he was buried, he continued under the power of death in the grave for a time, and then he was raised again from the dead on the third day. This is the testimony of the facts, which is made by many witnesses, which are included in the revelation recorded here by the Apostle Paul and other places. For instance, in John chapter 20, Mary Magdalene saw Jesus. And what does she do? She goes and announces it to the disciples. What does she say? She says, I have seen the Lord. In Luke chapter 24, there are two on the road to Emmaus who saw the risen Christ. And later, they found the eleven and those who were gathered together. And they said, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. John chapter 20 again, verses 26 through 28. We read of the risen Lord coming to the disciples. Eight days later, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Remember, Thomas is the one who said, unless I could see with my own eyes, unless I could touch the wounds. He, remember, Thomas said, I will never believe. Right? Here's Thomas and the others. And Jesus comes among them. Peace be with you. Then he says to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve but believe in Thomas. You notice it doesn't even say that he, you know, well, let, me, let me feel around a little bit. He just, <laughs> my Lord and my God. And so it is here that Paul makes much of the fact that there are many eyewitnesses. There were many eyewitnesses to the risen Savior. Verse 5, it says, He appeared to Cephas, to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, which is another way of saying, you know, if you want to go talk to these guys who are still alive, go ask them. They saw the risen Savior. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, Paul says, he appeared also to me. And we know that Paul received, or or was visited by the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus, wasn't he? Jesus, or Paul himself saw the risen Jesus. And so look at all these witnesses. Look at all these eyewitnesses to the risen Lord. All of this maintains the historic veracity of the fact Jesus, Jesus was really and truly dead, and he was really and truly risen from the dead. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And you know that the scriptures verify themselves. God is His own interpreter. The, the Scriptures verify, are their, are, provide their own verification. And yet, and yet, God is also pleased to provide these eyewitnesses. Our faith, beloved congregation, is not a blind faith, nor is it an unreasoning faith. This is why the writer of Hebrews, after having provided the accounts of the faith of Hall of Fame, then says in Hebrews chapter 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set up before us. Holding fast to the faith. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne 
of God. Beloved, the Scriptures proclaim the truth and there is a great cloud of witnesses to this truth. And so this is true for the resurrection. In fact, the Scriptures prophesied of this event. The resurrection was, Paul says, according to the Scriptures. By witnesses to the resurrected Lord are not just people. God Himself is His own witness. The Scriptures of the Old Testament point to this reality. The eyewitnesses of that day point to this reality. we've, We've read Psalm 16 a few different times already in this service. We sang it even. Psalm 16. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now the author of this is David. Well, certainly David experienced corruption, didn't he? David died and rotted away in the grave. He was buried like all the other kings and prophets and patriarchs. So what is David talking about? Well, David's not talking about himself. What David is giving is a prophetic word speaking of the coming Messiah who himself would not see corruption. The Holy One of Israel. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. In addition to this, the resurrection is prefigured by the prophet Jonah. Spent three days and three nights in the belly of the fish after having been rescued from death to life. And Jesus himself said that it is the sign of Jonah which would be given to them. Remember Matthew chapter 20, uh, 12, verses 39 and 40. An evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of jo- the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights In the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Hosea 6 says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us, that that He may heal us. He has struck us down. He will bind us up. After two days He will receive us. On the third day He will raise us up, that we may live before Him. And so the predictive nature of the Old Testament of the, it, it speaks of the death and resurrection of the Messiah. This is seen in types and shadows in the Old Testament. It's prefigured in various places and in various ways. And now, Paul is not trying to proof text the prediction of the coming of the Messiah, but rather he's giving us an overarching theme. An, over, or an overarching theme which is found throughout the Word of God. I'm just giving you a, a taste of, of the things we can look at. So one can attempt to obscure this. Others can deny it. But listen, the the, the writing of Scripture is plain enough. Anyone who makes an honest reading of the Bible can see this. They can understand how the Scriptures and thus the people of God look forward to this day which they celebrate. The whole of the Bible speaks very clearly of the fact that Jesus is raised from the dead. Even the Old Testament looked forward to that. Now, if, you don't, if you don't want to believe it, then you, then you just don't believe what the Bible says, right? But we look forward to the day when Jesus... No, we look forward to the day, not only that Jesus rose from the dead, and the path went back on that, but we look forward to the day when we too will rise from the dead. And so you have various eyewitnesses, the Scriptures... The fact that they can attest, testify to the fact that Jesus was dead, he rose again. 
Jesus appeared to a whole bunch of different people. He appeared to women. He appeared to men. He appeared to large groups. He appeared to small groups and individuals. All the apostles witnessed the risen Lord. And of course, last of all was Paul himself. Now here Paul adds in verse 9 a bit of an aside concerning himself. He says, For I am the least of the apostles unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So Paul, he says he's last, not, not only in order of appointment, although that is true. Paul came to faith on the road to Damascus sometime after the other apostles were active. But Paul's leastness is not about time. But what Paul is saying is he is last in rank and in dignity. Paul was a man of deep humility. He regarded himself as little. In fact, this is what the name Paulus means. Small or humble. The apostle Paul understood well the depth of his own sinfulness. He was humbled by it. And so he called himself little. Charles Hodge, in commenting on this text, said this, Those of his children whom God intends to exalt to posts of honor and power, he commonly prepares for their elevation by leading them to such a knowledge of their sinfulness to keep them constantly debased. This humility of Paul was not a false humility. This was not a humility which is designed to draw attention to himself. No, he had a deep sense of his own sinfulness. That's pretty clear as you read his letters. He was very, very aware of the sins of his past. And so though Paul was forgiven in Christ for his sins, he never forgot it. He had a daily sense of his own unworthiness to serve the risen Lord. And yet God was pleased to use him mightily. What grace... What grace that was shown to him. What grace that has been shown to you and I as well. Here's Paul, the, prosecute, the persecutor rather, of the church who had become the great apostle of the church. Verse 10, by, by, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. The grace that Jesus showed to the Apostle Paul was not worthless. It was not for nothing. He says, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Although it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Paul was able to do what he did because of the grace of his Savior. And Paul, so, so as Paul speaks about the resurrection of, of his Savior, he can't help but point to his own conversion. How the Lord had radically transformed him. That he was a new creation in Christ. And the grace of God in Christ had changed him. The grace of Christ, beloved congregation, has changed you and me as well. If you're in him. Because you and I are not worthy in and of ourselves. You and I are sinners. Miserable, rotten sinners. We have broken God's perfect law. And yet it is the grace of God in Christ which fixes all that is broken in us. But this would not be the case if Christ is not raised from the dead. 
It is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ in which you see sin and death defeated. In this sense, our redemption, our regeneration, it's in that that we too are witnesses of the risen Christ. Because we've seen in our own lives the transformation as we are in Him. And we haven't seen with our physical eyes, but we've experienced His redeeming work in our hearts. And so with Paul, we can say, by grace, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. You can say that because you're in Christ by faith. And so regardless of where it was heard from, The Corinthians had heard the truth and had believed. And so this brings up the question, if these things are so, if in fact you have heard and believed the gospel which has been preached, then why are there some who have begun to not deny the resurrection? This is the question that Paul is asking. Verse 12, Now if Christ proclaimed His race from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection from the dead? Now, there were some in Corinth who were denying the general resurrection of the dead. But if there's no general resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. This is the the point that Paul is making. So admitting the resurrection of Jesus, but denying the general resurrection, is inconsistent at best. But the problem was that some in Corinth were denying the resurrection all the way around. They would say, there is no resurrection of the dead. They'd say, you know, dead people don't come back to life. Full stop. So Paul is saying, well, hold on a moment. Christ has been proclaimed to you as raised from the dead. Isn't this what we've preached to you? This is the gospel that we have preached to you and that you have believed. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the grounds for our all Christian preaching and faith. And since this is true and you believe, then you should have no trouble believing in the general resurrection of all believers on the last day. Because if there's no resurrection for us, then Christ Himself is not raised. And if Christ has not been raised, verse 14, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Beloved, Paul, the Apostle Paul, here is making a devastating point. One in which you and I would be wise to pay very close attention to. If Jesus Christ, the Son of God and our Lord, has not been raised bodily from the grave, if He has not passed from death to life, then guess what? What we are doing here and now is all for nothing. I'm wasting my breath. We are still in our sins, and the chasm which separates God and sinful man has not been bridged. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, then we are without hope. Beloved, if the liberal theologian is correct in his opinion that Jesus is nothing more than a good moral teacher who died in the first century, who remains dead, then you and I are utterly lost. This is the consequence of denying the resurrection of Jesus and the whole gospel is subverted 
In fact, the resurrection is so essential that without it, all claims of Christ, the validity of the ministry, the work of His atonement, all these things are worthless. And so the denial of the resurrection is not rooted in any kind of faith or belief. It's actually unbelief. How can someone claim to be a person of faith? How can they call themselves a Christian if there is no resurrection? Without the resurrection of Jesus, there is no Christianity. And you and I are without hope. That's, that's the fact of what Paul is getting at. This is, why doc, this is why beloved doctrine matters. And, you know, I'm very aware of the fact that we live in a, in a region, a community that says, you know, doctrine just divides people. You know, it's not, it's not important. Right? You just got to love Jesus. The question is, which Jesus are we talking about? Which Jesus are we talking about? Doctrine does matter. This is why knowing the truth, understanding the scriptures is vital. Because if Jesus is not raised from the dead, then really, what, what else is there to believe in? Right? But the church just becomes nothing more than a social club with friendly people. None of this matters if Jesus has not been raised from the dead. But Paul says it's even worse than that. It's not only are we lost, verse 15, we're not only lost, we're also liars. Verse 15, we are found even to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that He raised Christ whom He did not raise. And if this is true, that the, that the dead are not raised. So not only would we be lost, not only are we without hope, but we are sinning. We are liars, Paul says. We are bearing false witness about God. Do you see how important the resurrection of Jesus is to our faith? Our faith, the the Christian faith, hangs on this crucial doctrine. This is Paul's point. In fact, verse 20, Christ having been raised from the dead, he has been raised from the dead, he's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The consequences of there being no resurrection are clear, but the fact remains, beloved, Jesus did rise from the dead. Our Savior lives. And His resurrection from the dead 2,000 years ago opens the door for one day you too will be risen from the dead. That's your hope. You see, those who hope in Christ, you have been given newness of life. You will, though, one day die. Your body will rest in the grave. But then that body will be renewed and raised and reunited with your soul. And you will live eternally with your Savior and with your God in the new heavens and new earth. This is what we're looking forward to. This is our hope. And so today we celebrate, we celebrate what is the most pivotal event in human history. God's plan of redemption coming to fruition. All of the scriptures from beginning to end, as as you look at it, starting in Genesis, looking forward to that day when the Messiah would come, the Redeemer, the Redeemer who would crush the serpent's head. The one who would come to atone for the sins of his people. 
The patriarchs and the prophets, they all look forward to the redemption which was purchased by the death and resurrection of our Lord. And this, beloved, is our hope. This is what we celebrate. This is what we celebrate, quite frankly, every Lord's Day. Because there's a sense in which every Lord's Day is Resurrection Day. Every Sunday is the Lord's Day. Every, in a sense, you can say it's every Sunday is Easter for us. We celebrate this every week. Christ died for your sins. Christ was buried. Christ was resurrected. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And this matters because this is the message that you and I need to hear that you and I must rest in. And this is the message, by the way, that the world needs to hear and rest in as well. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us the basis for our hope because Jesus has conquered sin and death and has given his people new life. Let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for all of your scriptures and the promises. We also thank you that Jesus fulfills all those promises, that he is in fact the Messiah, that he died for sinners such as us, and that He was raised again, that our Savior lives. He is risen. He is risen indeed. We give you all praise. Help us, O oh God, to remember your gospel, that we may walk in your truth each day, knowing that we are blood-bought children of the King. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.